0: It's June, seems like summertime, but it's still strange, right? 2020 continues to mystify. I was talking with one of my sons earlier this week, and we were saying that whatever we thought 2020 was going to be, it's not that. It's entirely different. And it seems like change is the only constant. It's been a time of uh, rapid change. It's been a challenging time, it's been a sad time. It's been a time recently where we've seen a great deal of anger, of outrage, of protest, and rightly so. Let's hope that uh, as 2020 continues to change and evolve, it finds us a kinder, gentler, more compassionate people. I hope that you're having compassion in your personal lives. I hope that you're having compassion for one another. I hope you're having compassion with those feelings of discomfort that might be arising in you as a consequence of what's going on in our world as you watch the news. On the topic of the news, I hope that you take time to turn it off, to get outside, to see something beautiful and fresh and alive. In addition to having compassion for one another, I hope that you're having compassion for yourself. I hope that you're taking time to care for your soul, taking time to pray, taking time to slow down and breathe and come to terms with what's going on in our world and in your life. You'll notice a change of perspective today. What you're seeing behind me is not what you typically see. We're changing. We're rearranging. We're having carpets cleaned in the sanctuary this coming week so when we do come back it'll be nice and fresh and clean. Pray for our team that's working on the reentry plan. Pray for the plans and processes that we're putting in place. It's going to be different, it's going to be better, it's going to be amazing. We're walking together into a brave new world. And that's what it's like when you follow Jesus. It's always change. It's always a new direction. We are evolving spiritually. In fact, that's what I want to look at. You know I've fallen in love with the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be there for a good long time this summer. I hope you get comfortable with Matthew's Gospel. Each of the biographies of Jesus was written with a certain perspective in mind, and increasingly we're going to be working our way into Matthew's story as we see the mission of Jesus evolving. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to begin today at verse 35. This is the evolving mission of Jesus. It says, He went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. Matthew's the teaching gospel. Matthew contains five discourses of Jesus that are arranged thematically in order to show Jesus' mission as it grew and developed. The most familiar of these discourses is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, a passage that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. But to gain some context growing into this passage beginning in Matthew 9.35, I'm going to go back in time, back to the beginning, to the advent of Jesus' ministry. So come with me on a journey back in time to Matthew chapter 3, where is recorded the baptism of Jesus. And I want you to envision with me a 30-year-old Jesus of Nazareth who has heard or felt a tug in his personal life that has taken him out into the wilderness under the teaching of John the baptizer. And Jesus was baptized and something beautiful happened. The Spirit of God descended on him in the form of a dove and a voice was heard, the voice of the Father, saying, this is my Son, whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus in the baptism has this affirmation about his own personal sense of who he is, this inner consciousness or calling that he has to be the Christ of God, the Messiah, the King of the Jews, and the Savior. Immediately following the baptism in Matthew 3, Matthew 4 records Jesus led by the Spirit of God into the desert, into the wilderness for a time of testing, a time of inner turmoil and wrestling with the call that God had placed on his life. We have here in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus being tempted and tried, and it's all about his identity. It's about who he is, what he stands for, What kind of a savior, messiah, and king he will be. And Jesus wrestles there with his inner demons. At the end of that, he comes out, and we're into Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. This is like Jesus' magnum opus. This is him offering the kingdom to the people. This is who he is. This is where you have this sense of compassion and gratitude And beauty and grace that comes out of the life of Jesus and ultimately of his disciples. And then we go on through Matthew, bringing us up to the present, chapter 9 and verse 35, a summary statement of Matthew. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Don't we need good news? Don't we find ourselves today in desperate need of something refreshing and good. That's what Jesus came proclaiming. The good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. This is what Jesus stood for. This is who he was. This is what he did. This is the unfolding of the mission as it came to him from the Heavenly Father. Verse 36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The mission of Jesus here is born of compassion, and we see the heart of God. Jesus looked at the people he saw. They were harassed and helpless, and the imagery, the Old Testament imagery, they were like sheep without a shepherd. So when Jesus comes and says, I am the good shepherd, as recorded in John chapter 10, that's in direct opposition to those who were bad shepherds. Those who drove the people to their own ends. Jesus came offering a style of leadership. One that we need in our time as much as ever. We are a people harassed and helpless. And we scan the horizon for leadership and there is none. Someone to look into our eyes and give us that sense of wellness. Someone to say things are okay. Someone to step in front of the camera and say, look, it's going to get better. There is a kingdom and it's beautiful. Someone to offer us at least, at very least, words of assurance. But we look and there's no leadership. This is the kind of leadership that Jesus came to offer. Compassionate. A leadership that takes our needs into account that knows the pain that we're experiencing, that knows the sense of disillusionment that comes night after night after night when we watch the evening news. Jesus comes to offer a solution, a peaceable, loving-kind kingdom. And He likens it to a harvest. He says to His disciples, look, fellas, Things can get better. There's a lot of work for me to do. Jesus is here offering the greatest gift of leadership. It's delegation. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, look, we're just a handful of us. Pray, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And as it was with the disciples, sometimes it is with us that we become the answer to our own prayers. Looking for leadership implies a void that potentially you and I can fill as compassionate followers of Jesus. So the mission is born of compassion in response to the need. It's likened to a harvest. This is a metaphor for mission. And immediately in Matthew 10 and verse 1, then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out, to cure every disease and every sickness." These are the names of the twelve, and then he lists them, twelve Jewish men. All right. I would have liked for there to be a few women, at least. I would have liked for there to be some multiculturalism folks from different tribes, different nations. Why is this that Jesus chose 12? Read on with me, verse five. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Here we see the mission unfolding or evolving in a way that shares authority, okay? So Jesus divests himself of power. He gives personal power, credibility, authority to the 12 disciples, so it's a shared mission, but it's also a focused mission. Jesus chose 12 Jewish Palestinian men and sent them To Jewish Palestinian people. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't bother with the Samaritans. But go to the lost sheep of Israel. Now what do we do with that? In our time of racial, cultural sensibilities. What do we make of this? At at first blush it looks like a bigoted Jesus. That's only concerned about his own people. Stay with me. I know you like your Jesus straight with no chaser, right? You like a Jesus omniscient, a Jesus who's figured it all out, a Jesus that has everything in mind. But what about an evolving Jesus? What about a Jesus in process just like the rest of us? What about a human Jesus pushing beyond his own cultural constraint? How do we get that? Matthew of the four gospels is a gospel to the Jews. Most scholars agree that Mark was the first gospel written that it was primary and that it was source material for all the other gospels. Somehow Matthew got priority. Matthew's a gospel that's written to a Jewish audience about obviously a Jewish Jesus on a Jewish mission As baseline but I contend that it evolves outwardly from there as Jesus evolves stick with me let's flip ahead to Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21 here we encounter the Canaanite woman who I think challenged and maybe changed the trajectory for Jesus it says Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Kind of outside of his comfort zone, right? Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. This is the contemporary equivalent of you and I walking past an unsheltered individual sitting on the side of the road, asking for our attention. Ignore it, walk right on by. But he did not answer her at all, and his disciples came and urged him saying, send her away, or she keeps shouting after us. He answered, here's what he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel Wow! totally put her off I'm on a mission to restore the tribes of Israel 12 disciples like 12 tribes this is the restoration of all things this is what I was sent for but verse 25 of chapter 15 she came and knelt before him saying Lord help me and he answered, It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Wow! Now he doesn't ignore her, he insults her. I'm not going to give you what's intended for God's people. Uh, verse 27 She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman! Great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now, that's a complex passage. It's challenging. It's hard to climb into the mind of Jesus and know what was going on there. But can we open ourselves, avail ourselves to the possibility that Jesus, through Matthew's gospel, is growing in awareness of the scope of his mission? It's not only to the 12 tribes. That's where it begins to restore the people of Israel to be the shepherd where the shepherds had failed. But as the story unfolds, as it evolves, we see a much broader scope. So much so that by the time we get to Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, which we looked at recently, we have the Great Commission And the thing that makes the Great Commission great is its scope. Because Jesus says, Jesus doesn't say, go to the people of Israel. Go go to the nation of the Hebrews. Restore the Jews. Jesus says in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. Ta, ethna, everyone, radically inclusive but it comes at the end of Matthew's Gospel, not at the beginning, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, would become the savior of the world. And I think that we see clues in the text that it was a process for him, that he was evolving, that he was developing, that he was growing into this sense of who he was. Think about your own situation. Jesus here is 30 years, maybe 30 years, 6 months. 30 years old. Who were you at 30? You're not the person today that you were at 30. If you're 50, like me, I'm crashing 50. If you're 70, if you're 90, you have a different awareness than you had back then. We grow. We evolve continually, spiritually. I want for us to see the life in this book, to see the vitality, to see a Jesus in process. And I know it's so much easier to just see Jesus in his infinite wisdom, Jesus knowing all, doing all, being all. Maybe we're not comfortable with a human Jesus. Maybe human Jesus scares us, gives us pause, makes us a little uncomfortable. That we might have to change, that we might have to grow. If your beliefs, if your behavior, if your consciousness is the same today as it was 10 years ago, 20 years, 30 years ago, you've grown stale. We're people on the move. The mission is on the move. It begins where you are in front of your face. And it grows out from there to include everyone. Think about our own life and times. Think about where we are. Think about the conversations that you've had this past week about race. I thought I was pretty mature pretty grounded, pretty open. If this week hasn't been eye-opening for you, something's wrong, something's really wrong. We can change, we can grow, we can evolve in our sensibilities, we can become more open and more inclusive. That's the point. And Jesus, in his humanity, modeled it for us. Look where he started. Matthew 10. Hey, guys, let's go reclaim our people. Chapter 15. Jesus is confronted by a foreign woman whose persistent, dogged, determined faith opened him up to the realization that That he would eventually say, look, the the prostitutes and the tax collectors, they're rushing into the kingdom ahead of you guys. The people we think are in are out. The people we think are out are in. We need to adjust our sights. We need to evolve. We need to catch up with what's going on. The Spirit of God is alive and active in our lives and in our mission. Mission was focused. Jesus sent them out with clear instruction. He divested himself of authority. Stop and think. Think about this thing with race. Think about this in terms of who you are in relationship with. And think about the people that you've taken on as friends, as mentors, as colleagues, as people that you're close with. How inclusive is that circle of yours? This is a time to think about that. One of my besties, you know her well, Sidney Webster. She's an African-American woman, hero for me, champion. She's overcome incredible adversity in her life. And she serves in the exact same way that I do. She's a pastor of a congregation. She's a hospice chaplain. And we have conversations that consistently blow the lid off my sensibilities. I thank God for her. Because I learn and I grow from someone who's different. Think in terms not only of race, but of gender, of of culture, of background. We can learn from each other. We can grow. Jesus learned. Jesus grew. And as a consequence, the mission took on meaning and its scope expanded. And thank God, look, it included you and it included me. And here we are assuming the mantle of leadership like the original 12 Jesus has entrusted us with the mission look you go you heal you cast out demons you raise the dead I'm giving you my authority the words of authority that he gave to the disciples in chapter 10 are the words of authority that he gives to all of us in chapter 28 He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Sister, brother, what are you waiting for? Let's get at it. The Lord bless you, my friends, and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace.